Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. What's up, Afterlifers? This is John Steele with another episode of your favorite alumni podcast, After Four. All right, I'm excited to jump into today's conversation, but first, let's spend just a moment talking about Urbana. Last week, we got to spend some time getting to know our Urbana 22 MC, Anna Lee Winans, and we had a fantastic time. Anna told us all about her role and why she's so excited to hang out with all of us at Urbana in December. But Anna also shared something else with us. She told us about the impact that previous Urbanas had on her life and the role that God was inviting her to play in his global mission. Well, alumni, I want to hear some of the same stories from you about your past Urbana experiences. If you go to the show notes, you're going to see a few different questions. Things like, why did you choose to go to Urbana? What was something new, different, or challenging that you experienced at Urbana that helped you grow? Tell a story of how Urbana changed your relationship with God. Or what is the most important thing that you'd want people to know about Urbana? And here is your very simple mission, alumni. I want to see 60 to 90 second videos of you answering one or more of these questions to help us continue to get excited for what God has in store at Urbana 22. So find some quality lighting, make sure there's no background noise, get a nice angle of your face, not looking up your nostrils, and share your video Urbana testimonies with us for a chance to see them on our Instagram and on the Urbana 22 Instagram. You can email them to us at our alumni mailbox. That's alumni at intervarsity.org. And be sure to share your Instagram handle so that we can tag you if your story is selected. This is going to be a lot of fun. I am so excited to hear from you, alumni. Okay, on to the episode. By a show of hands, how many of you can identify with the following? You've started making an audible grunting sound when you stand up or sit down. You wake up with what feels like sports-related injuries after an evening of casually walking around the mall. You spend your evening casually walking around the mall. You own a favorite spatula. And when put on the spot, you have trouble conjuring up words like, uh, you know, hang on, it'll come to me. Either way, if you said yes to one or more of those scenarios, you may be suffering from what I call being in your 30s. And if you're in your 30s, then you know that you need all the help you can get right now. Well, have I got a guest for you. Today, we're joined by Paul Tokunaga, an Ivy alumnus from Cal Poly Tech, retired Ivy staff, and founder and CEO of MELD, a company leading the way in multi-ethnic leadership development. Paul joined us back in May to talk about leveling up our 20s, and he's back to give us some pointers on developing well in our 30s. So, Put up your feet, ice down that lower back, and enjoy my conversation with Paul. This one's for you, alumni. Paul, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, John. Good to be here. 
I'm excited for you to join us for another Leadership Through the Decades conversation. It's great to have you back again. Now, if people want a more complete introduction, they can go back and listen to our previous conversation that focused around the 20s. They can hear a bit more about you. But briefly, would you just tell us a bit about who you are and what the Leadership Through the Decades framework is about, just so they get a little taste if they haven't gotten to listen to that first episode yet? So I'm the founder and president of an organization called MELD, which stands for Multi-Ethnic Leadership Development. We provide training and resources in the area of racial diversity. Prior to that, for 48 years, I was on the staff of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in a variety of different roles. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, with my wife, Margaret, and we have a son, Sam. And for the last 30 years or so, my passion has been developing leaders. I've written a book on it called Invitation to Lead, Guidance for Emerging Asian American Leaders. And in the process of leading workshops on leadership development, I started thinking about there are probably different things that are best to work on during different seasons of one's life as a leader. So I started thinking in your 20s, what are some of the key things to focus on, either areas to get better at or maybe things to root out of your life? Then I started thinking about the 30s, and the longer I gave this workshop, I kept adding decades to it. And I think the last time I did it, I even had the decade of the 70s, of which I'm a brand new member. You're continuing to pave the way for us here. We appreciate (laughs) it. It would have just been a couple of years ago, the first time that I got to read through this framework. And I remember reflecting on my 20s and saying, wow, yeah, this feels like so much of what happened in my 20s. It wasn't always on purpose, but that it was happening somewhat naturally. And now it's nice being in my 30s to have a bit of a framework to say, this gives me something to attach some ideas to and to do with a little bit more purpose as I go through my 30s. So I'm excited for us to get to share a bit more with our 30-something alumni or our 20-something alumni who are looking ahead and saying, as I'm going through my 20s, how can I be ready to connect this to developing in my 30s as well as a leader? So let's jump in here, Paul. Tell me just a little bit about the primary focus of the 30s. What are we really looking at when we step into and live through our 30s here? John, I would say in a nutshell, the primary focus of the 30s is focusing on the things that you do well, honing those skills, gaining experience in those areas and doing that over and over again. As you say goodbye to your 20s, and some are going to say goodbye fondly to their 20s. Others are going to say good riddance, (laughs) bring on the 30s. But whatever the case, it's a time of having less variety of different activities and then choosing the ones that suit you best. A couple categories here. Let's say it's a hobby. Say in your 20s, you had five hobbies. Which one offers you the best change of pace or balance to your day job? Which one refreshes you the most and even energizes you to be better at your job? And keep in mind that some of the hobbies of your 20s may not refresh you and energize you in your 30s because you're a different person now and you have different wants and needs. Now, let's say it's your day job. I would ask, what can you see yourself committing at least five years to? Now, why five years? because it's enough time to start getting good at a few things in your field, and it's enough time to contribute meaningfully to your organization's mission and purpose. The third category besides a hobby and your day job is to think about your spiritual community. In your 20s, if you jump from church to church for whatever reason, draw on those experiences to make a good plan to commit to one church for at least five years in your 30s. 
go deep during those five or more years. The backbone, I believe, of many solid churches is having a sizable core of 30-somethings in their leadership. Why do I say that? It's because people in their 30s have time, they have energy, and hopefully some spiritual maturity to offer leadership. Let me just talk a bit about getting better at something. How do you do that? When I was in my 30s, each year, I would choose one area that I wanted to improve in. One year, it was public speaking. At age 30, I think I would have given myself a C-plus as a public speaker. No one was knocking on my door to have me speak at their conferences <laughs> at age 30. So for one year, I did all that I could to improve as a speaker. I read books. I remember Jesse Jackson was running for president at the time, and he was speaking at a nearby college. I got the best seat because I wanted to see what did he do that made him such a great orator. And I would go and hear other speakers as well. I was on InterVarsity staff, and I asked one of the staff I supervised, could you come and hear me give this talk and give me some feedback? And after the talk was over, she had three pages of notes. <laughs> and let me tell you, they weren't all good things. You know, first time I read it, I was offended. I thought, who do you think you are? And then I thought, whoa, this is good stuff. So it went in my file drawer. Actually, for the duration of when I was a supervisor, which was about three years, every time she heard me speak, she would hand me these notes. So by the end of that first year, I would say I progressed to maybe going from a C plus to a B minus. And I decided I wasn't satisfied with a B minus. So I extended that commitment for one more year. And after the end of that year, I would say I was a solid B. But it took two years to get from a C plus to a B. And the key thing was being intentional. In order to say yes for making speaking my top priority, I had to let other areas that needed improvement take a back seat. It sounds to me where the 20s is testing the waters in a lot of different places that the 30s is more sitting down in the water. You're sitting there and you're taking it in, you're absorbing, you're letting more of yourself get used to the surroundings for a longer period of time. And then you're discerning even longer term than this, is this a good fit for me? And maybe some of those waters that you're deciding to sit down in is because you tested them out in your 20s and you found like, oh, I either really enjoy this or I think there's something about this that I might be really good at. And that maybe gives you some ideas of what to spend a little more time with as you're narrowing your focus in your 30s. Yeah, to use your analogy, I would say in my 20s, I learned how to dog paddle. I kept myself <laughs> afloat, but I'd watch other people in the pool and they were doing more than dog paddling. So I thought, yeah, I want to learn that freestyle stroke. I want to learn a backstroke, but it took being intentional to learning how to get better at it. Paul, tell us just a little bit about this idea of sovereign foundations, what it looks like to work on your sovereign foundations and why that is a beneficial pursuit in our 30s. Here's where the phrase comes from. Robert Clinton, a leadership development professor at Fuller Seminary and probably some other places, wrote a book years ago called The Making of a Leader. And in the book, he identifies, I think, six different phases a leader goes through as they mature and grow as a leader. The first phase he identifies is called sovereign foundations. And basically, he says about this stage, early on in your life, there are some things that have happened that shape you in a deep and profound way, whether you realize it or not. I added to his definition of early in your life, even before you were born, some things may have happened. So for me, for example, I'm Japanese-American. I had 43 relatives who were put in the so-called internment camps of World War II. 
the camps ended in 1945, six years before I was born. And growing up, none of my relatives would talk about what it was like to be in those prison camps. As I got older and I began reading about what happened in those camps, I realized how much my upbringing, some of the values that I was raised with were because of their experience in those camps. So sometimes it can be something even before you were born that affects you profoundly. And another sovereign foundation is when I was a year and a half, my older sister, mom and dad and I were in a head-on collision with a drunk driver. Before the days of mandatory seatbelts, my mom flew through the windshield of the car, died instantly. Right before we were hit, she threw me to the floorboard of the car, which saved my life. My dad was pronounced dead, went into a coma, but lived. None of us could attend my mom's funeral. My dad remarried shortly after that. And no one ever talked about my mother, my birth mom. So it was like the elephant in the room, but people loved her so much and they just felt like, what good would it do to talk to Paul or his older sister about this mother who loved them so much? I spent the whole decade of my 40s in therapy. And one of the things we talked a lot about was, what did your birth mom give you before she died? And it was really significant what she gave to me. Those are two examples of sovereign foundations. I just encourage you to dig deep. There might be some things back there that you've avoided on purpose because you think it's just too painful. It takes some courage and maybe some help with a counselor or a therapist to help you bring it back to the surface in a positive, helpful, constructive way. Paul, there are some of these moments as we develop through these decades that feel like this is not all fun and games. It's about improving and developing and honing these skills, figuring out more about who we are, what we're good at, the way that we were created to operate. But that in the midst of that, there is some really deep, potentially painful work that goes on in the midst of that. And we kind of have to mentally prepare for that reality as we go through this time of development in these decades. I want to move our conversation to the idea of passions, the things that burn in your gut, the things that you're excited about that you're like, oh, if I didn't do this, then I would be all the lesser for it. And maybe the people around me would even be the lesser for it. What should our relationship with our passions be in this decade and even beyond? Yeah, I don't want to pop the balloon totally here. Okay. <laughs> but the 30s is not the decade to live totally by your passions. I think it's to identify what your passions are, what you're aiming for from my perspective, is the decades of the 40s and the 50s, which I call living and leading at your peak. So the 20s, then the 30s, is getting your ducks in a row so that when you hit your 40s, you're going to be the best leader that you can possibly be into your 50s, hopefully staying with an organization for at least 10, 15 years so you can really have an impact. I don't think you just take the 30s and say, I'm just going to do what I love to do and heck with everything else. It's a honing process. You want to have some element of your passion in there, but it's also to figure out what truly is my passion. You might have four things that you feel passionate about. If you can leave the decade of your 30s, narrowing that down to two, even one, entering your 40s, then you'll have helped yourself. Because maybe when you're 30, you had those four things and you might say to yourself, I can't pick between these four. I love all four of them. Use your 30s to figure out which two or one do you love the most that brings you great joy that nothing else really does. That's a really helpful reframe for me. Paul, I have a question about failure. 
we talked about failure in the 20s, so that failure is a part of, I mean, it's a part of life, but that it looks a particular way in the 20s. There's a particular mindset to have about failure in your 20s to fail often, fail well. It's an important part of the process. It's okay. Just lean into it. What does failure look like in our 30s? Is it different from our 20s? Yeah, I would say, again, as in your 20s, fail well, but in your 30s, fail less often because it's most likely going to be more costly to fail in your 30s. Sometimes people say, what do you mean by failing well? That sounds like an oxymoron. Right. (laughs) I define failing well as learning from what went wrong and what to do to avoid it in the future in resolving to do better. That's how I define failing well. I shudder when I come across leaders who have failed badly, and then I'm with them like 10 years later, and I see the same things that tripped them up 10 years ago continue to trip them up now. It feels like the straitjacket that they were wearing 10 years ago, they haven't taken it off. But here's another piece as I thought through this whole thing of failing in general, but in our 30s in particular. Failure usually involves asking for forgiveness because our failures usually impact other people, not just ourselves. And maybe as importantly, we need to forgive ourselves. So how do we not fail as often? Here are a couple of suggestions. Take a longer amount of time to make decisions than you might have in the past and involve trusted counselors or friends to help you make the best decision. Most of my failures came when I would act on things without the input of others. Maybe we don't need to feel the pressure to give an answer as quickly, like maybe we did in our 20s of like, yeah, sure, I'll give that a try. Let's go. Now it's, hey, give me some time. I'll get back to you. And that's an opportunity to take it to the people that know us really well. And they'll give us some honest feedback. Do you really have the capacity to do that? Is that just a different version of something that you already don't like? (laughs) And I've had a few job offers come my way that I've presented to my wife as like, hey, somebody's (laughs) asking me to consider this. And she said, that sounds just like a different coat of paint on something that you already said you didn't want to do anymore. (laughs) And I thought, wow, I'm so glad that you said that because I could have said yes to something that I didn't recognize I had really already said no to before. And this would have just gotten me into that same rhythm of doing something I didn't enjoy or wasn't good at. As we continue to grow and develop, people are going to recognize that we have some talents, gifts, skills that can be useful to them. So they're going to ask us, hey, would you take on this project? Would you speak at this conference? So I want to introduce a word I don't think I've used before, and the word is reflection. I'm an introvert. Reflection maybe comes more naturally to me. So it may be more of a learned thing, but it's important. The phrase I, it just automatically comes out of my mouth now when I'm asked to do something is, when do you need an answer by? And in many cases, what sounded pretty cool to do when they asked me doesn't sound as cool a week later, especially when I run it by key people like my wife and like what your wife did for you. The sheen has rubbed off and we're able to put it in perspective of the other obligations and priorities we have for our lives. So I always just say, when do you need an answer by? And if they say today or right now, then the answer is no. I'm sorry. Unless the general manager of the Atlanta Braves came to me and said, we need a right fielder this afternoon. Can you do it? Then I break my rule and I say, 
Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm your right fielder. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You need to keep in mind, what are your things that you would definitely say yes to immediately, just in case you're not asked? Many, not many things, but <laughs> one or two. Yeah, yeah, one or two. Paul, is there anything that we haven't talked about that we just really need to touch on? Something that listeners in their 30s or people who are about to enter their 30s that, hey, you really want to make sure that this is something that they hear before we sign off today? Well, I mentioned this in our session on the 20s about naming and owning your demons. And I would just say, keep battling your demons, especially if you kind of, in your 20s, put them aside and just try to ignore them or deny them. You don't want to go into your 40s with the demons clinging to you and having more of an influence and impact on you than you really want. And as hard as it could be, do battle with your demons. Can I just be real honest here about Please something? Do, yes. As a kid, I was just angry all the time. I don't know where that anger came from. And then when I got older, I went from being an angry kid to an angry adolescent, to angry young man. And then in my 30s, I was still angry. As I ended my 30s, I thought, I'm an angry middle-aged man. I'm on my way to becoming an angry old man or senior citizen. My anger was affecting my wife and my son and the six people I supervised at the time because they were closest to me. They were getting the brunt of my anger. And I decided at that time, I have to do something about it. I thought I was going to be in therapy for maybe six weeks. And my therapist would patch me up and pat me on the back and say, you're good <laughs> to go. The six weeks was 10 years, the whole decade of my 40s. You know, Asian Americans, especially Asian American men, we don't do therapy. So it was difficult to say, I can't figure this out on my own. I need outside help. But I don't even want to think about what my relationships would have been like, what my soul would have been like if I hadn't gone through that kind of intense therapy. We talked about this a little bit in the 20s, but it keeps coming around this idea of as soon as you start to identify some of these things, now is the time. Now is the time to start working on them, whether it's developing a positive skill or working through something that's negative. Now is the time. Don't keep kicking the can down the road. Exactly. The more you kick it down the road, the harder it gets. As I think about demons and continuing to battle your demons, it feels like these are the, these lifelong nemeses that you might have that you're battling. Is there also a need for an awareness of staving off new demons as you progress through this time? Absolutely. It's a well-used phrase, midlife crisis. Often midlife crises happen in your 30s. And it happens when you're about to go to sleep at 12 o'clock at night and you can't go to sleep and you're wondering, man, I'm 38 years old. Where's my life going? What have I done with my life so far? And is this all I have to say for my life? And I think it's important to recognize that. Sometimes it's the temptation to have an affair at that age. Their marriage feels stale. Other times it could be my vocation, my work. Am I going to be doing this for the next 20 years? That bores me to death, scares me to death. If that's going to happen, what else can I do? So I think midlife crises, and it happens at different times for different people, is a real thing. And it warrants soul searching, and it warrants, I think, conversations with friends, especially those who have known you for a long time. The friends who are probably most helpful for me are the friends that I've had who knew me, you know, as a punk and knew me through college and young adults and even now. Those are the ones that I really go to for sound advice. 
again, a theme that I've heard come up for us a number of times, the importance of surrounding yourself with the right people as you're going through these decades and knowing who are my wise counselors that I can go to, whether it's about making a career change or here's some of these late night thoughts that I just keep coming back to. Can we talk through these just to get them out in the open, relieve some of this pressure and to be able to have a dialogue with someone that you trust? If you're in therapy, maybe these are places to talk through some of these in a confidential setting with someone that you trust. And yeah, again, surrounding yourself with wise counsel is an important part of traveling through these decades well. Paul, this has been so helpful. Being somebody who's in his 30s right now, this has been a really great conversation for me. There's been a number of things that we've talked about that has just felt like, yep, I get that. I get that. And this has provided a really helpful framework for me as I continue to walk through this decade. Thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your experience and your wisdom and giving us, I think, a helpful tool to take with us as we experience these things through our life. I appreciate it very much. Well, thanks, John. It's been great to be with you. We'll see you in 10 years when we uh, do the 40s, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. That sounds great. And hey, congratulations on five years with MELD. Here's to 5, 10, 15, 20 more years and beyond for MELD. So congratulations. Thanks, John. Appreciate that very much. I think each of the components Paul just shared are important for our development in the 30s. But by my observation, there's a theme that seems to run through most of them that we would be foolish to miss having access to trusted friends and counselors. Who are the people in your life who've known you for a long time, who can help you examine experiences, decisions, and opportunities, and who will listen well and give honest feedback? Who are those people for you? Because it seems that they play a vital role in our development through our 30s. Whether it's helping us narrow the field, walking through challenging parts of our sovereign foundations, or continuing to fight our demons, we really need to be able to do it all in the company of trusted friends and wise counselors. I hope you'll do the work of identifying who those people are in your life, because they will be an invaluable asset in the years to come. If you'd like to see the rest of Paul's recommendations for developing in your 30s, you can find the complete list in the show notes, and you can also find links to two of his IVP publications there. Paul, thanks for joining us for another walk through the decades. I'm grateful for your wisdom and your willingness to share your time with us. All right, come on back next week for the first of a two-part episode with pastor and author Drew Jackson. As always, we're going to spend some time getting to know Drew, and we're also going to hear about his book, God Speaks Through Wombs, a compilation of poems that walk through the first eight chapters of the Gospel of Luke. It's an incredibly unique experience reading this work, and he's even going to break down a few of his favorite pieces for us. You really don't want to miss it. So as always, be sure to subscribe, set your episodes to download automatically, and share with your friends. And don't forget to send us your Urbana 22 stories. Instructions can be found in the show notes. Until next week, I'll see you in the after, alumni.